0: This talk was given to a group of people sitting in silence during a meditation retreat. It is intended for a mind that is quiet and attentive. We invite you to enter into your own mini-retreat by sitting quietly and listening wholeheartedly. The teachings you are about to receive were freely offered. If you would like to make a donation to support their continuation, please visit us at dharmaseed.org. One theme that we've been repeating over and over again uh, throughout the the week has been uh, that there's, prior to Buddhism, Vipassana, Zen, Dzogchen, whatever, there's life. And to view life as a whole, one, if you're drawn to these matters, to contemplative life, to meditation, to Vipassana, or some form. Um, That's one vital, very important, and for some people becomes a precious aspect of life. But uh, it's not like the real world is out there and and uh, now we have to go back to the real world. This is a real world here. It's just here we do this. Some of the things here are harder than what we do in the real world because you have to face certain things that seem easier to escape from Uh, when we keep so busy and here we slow down dramatically and sustained attention for hour after hour after hour so this is life in this form and uh, I hope we've been even a little bit successful in conveying an attitude which is more important than any of the particular techniques to arouse an interest uh, in the urgency really of living a life that uh, that is conscious and that is um, well this is that 's dedicated to learning, learning how to live wisdom sometimes defined as the art of living. Um, many people here are highly educated and love to learn and love to learn different subject matter, different subjects, different sciences, arts, and so forth. Um, Do we have that same interest? Can can that emerge, that love of learning how to live? Uh, So it isn't some grim medicinal task uh, which won't carry you very far, I'm afraid. Kind of you do it every day like uh, fish oil. Uh, It's more if you, because for it to really uh, happen, there's a certain uh, challenge and uh, an interest in uh, in learning as we live out our life to, uh, life is the great teacher, but there has to be someone there to take the course. The curriculum's all set. Depending on how you look at it, the tuition is free or it's the highest cost there is. Um, but let's back off from that. And so I'd like to just say a few things. Uh, but first, so I don't forget, Some basics, which uh, particularly some of you who are rather new to the practice. A typical question, a few of you already have asked it, how long should I sit every day and so forth? I haven't the slightest idea. I don't know how long you should sit. Here you've had the support of, uh, we've had a a temporary, uh, I think, a lovely little community for seven days. Uh, It comes together and even though we're in silence, we all feel each other and we help one another without saying one word. Uh, when you get home, you won't have a schedule and bells and uh, all kinds of supports. Uh, so you're going to be, you'll you will see that uh, for one person, 20 minutes is an eternity. And uh, fine, don't try to make it mechanically an hour every day. You can do that. That's one way to go about it. And in some ways, it's safer. You just, This is it, I just sit an hour every day, no matter what. Will gets strong, and if you have a strong will already, that can be very helpful, and in the short run, I think it's more impressive. In the long run, what I've learned from uh, paying attention now for quite a few years of doing this and teaching it, is that if you allow it to grow naturally, in other words, this is a marathon, it's not a sprint, and so we're preparing ourselves, we're not really preparing ourselves for anything, we're, we're taking care of this moment uh, and we have our whole life is the is field of practice and personally I think it ends when we die. I personally want to go out practicing, dying, dying, whatever the, the, some of you are doing labeling I guess not we sufficiently knocked that one out so <laughs> um, Another person, perhaps 40 minutes, 45 minutes, or an hour is natural. What I would suggest is find roughly what seems to be um, reasonable for you and then go a little bit beyond it. It is helpful to challenge yourself somewhat, because that's how we grow. And then you might find 20 minutes uh, after a certain period of time. And again, there's no specified time here. If you pay attention, you'll see 20 minutes becomes 25 or 30. And it, agro- it grows organically and naturally. And especially if you see the value in the sitting, and uh, you may even learn to love it, even when it isn't a good sitting, uh, then you won't need so much uh, support. You won't need any support. You won't need a whole gang of people in order for you to sit. You know, you'll want to do it just like you want to come to meals, uh, so that you'll see it's a valuable thing to do in life. Personally, uh, for a human being, especially now, I think it's always been true, but life has become very, very complicated uh, out there. And uh, I don't think it's a luxury item for a person to sit down quietly with themselves once a day, let's say starting the day off, and just to be with yourself with no particular agenda other than that. If you like, the breathing's are always happening. And to just, in a very simple, unadorned way, uh, with no pretense whatsoever, no striving, no ambition. Uh, just be with yourself, and then from that place enter into what might be a very complicated life, of family, school, work, whatever your life is. If you can, maybe at the end of the day as well, before dinner or before you go to sleep, uh, once again. But uh, uh, So I would let it grow naturally, and each one of you um, needs to guide that for yourself. But it it definitely is helpful to try to sit on a regular basis, if you sit for two hours one day and then uh, a week goes by and you sit for an hour and a half and then five days go by, uh, I found that, that isn't as helpful as uh, keeping that current of mindfulness alive. And also starting the day off, it's a kind of mnemonic device. that reminds you, so even if it's just five minutes, some days it just isn't much time to sit down and remind the mind to be awake uh, and just devote five five minutes to just that and start the day that way. And then, as you know, uh, people will say, well, I'm too busy to practice. to practice a lot. You, you may be too busy to sit a lot, but you're not too busy to practice because the practice is not sem- separate from living. That's what we've been trying to say. And we've been practicing here where it is simpler. It is more safe sometimes, sometimes not, but it is. Overall, it is. And there's tremendous encouragement, like a Greek chorus four of us, you know, like, <laughs> sit and meditate. Um, so we'll, we'll, let, let's get into that. The attitude is most important. Um, some years ago, Corrado Pensa, who some of you know, I was uh, teaching with him in Italy, and uh, he took me to one of his teachers, uh, who was a Carmelite nun, and she was uh, contained, I don't know what the word is, but she was in a cage, um, and she was training uh, seven uh, novices. And she had been, uh, um, not, I'll say contained, I don't know, the, maybe some of you know the word. Uh, for at, at that point, it was uh, more than 30 years. Uh, so uh, we, we would meet, and uh, for 10 days, we, li- we were allowed to live at this convent and meet with her twice a day. And uh, she knew nothing about Buddhism. She was full of joy. Uh, she didn- never had read a word of it and drew me out, wanted to know my practice. She knew Karato very well. And then she heard all this stuff about, well, we're lay people trying to do it and we have to learn about a daily life. She listened very, very carefully, had a good understanding. And then she said... Um, Well, but uh, people uh, need to be, there needs to be some kind of uh, accounting. Uh, In other words, if you don't, people are not going to believe that daily life uh, can be uh, as spiritual as anything else. Uh, You have to help them uh, get to that place because most people, perhaps all of us, uh, it's daily life that drove us here. The last thing we want to be told, which I'm going to go into in a few moments, because I didn't finish last night. (laughs) You're not off the hook yet. (laughs) Is relationship as a Dharma practice. Well, relationship is the most difficult thing for human beings to do. I don't mean just uh, intimate, I mean look around. We've been on this planet a long time and we are, apparently the brain has brilliant capacity to do all kinds of things. And as Bertrand Russell put it, we've learned how to fly like birds. Uh, he was a British philosopher. We've learned how to sim, swim like fish. Look, we can get to the moon and beyond, but we, we don't know how to live on the earth. We don't know how to live with each other. Uh, whether it's a small unit, two people, or a family, or a, a tribe, or a country, or wherever you look, but we don't seem to have learned very much in thousands of years. Okay, there are different views on that, one view is, give it up. This is the curriculum. It's hopeless. It's samsara. Human beings, this is this is what the subject is. For whatever reason, you were dropped here to learn about this. And others, well, uh, I read now, has a more New Age a twist to it. A lot of the New Age stuff to me seems to have hardening of the arteries already. But anyway, it's called New Age. And they're talking about how we're all evolving into a new state of consciousness. And I don't know, we're going to just dance off into the sunset together? I hope so, but I don't see signs of it. I just see a growing number of people, uh, it's always been this way, um, are, have in, certainly in our society, have the leisure and the interest, however it's come to be this way. Uh, there's a lot of energy in uh, lay people. People want to remain <clears throat> uh, in their life as they have it already. They don't want to be monks or nuns. And there's tremendous urge and yearning uh, to practice. And there's no question in my mind that there are countless people. This center, uh, I've been here pretty much since the beginning. Uh, Not the first year, I was still in Zen then. And uh, having led many retreats in this hall, the amount of suffering that's been left here, you wouldn't believe it. Thousands of people have left feeling a lot lighter and a lot more... Uh, helped in knowing, having a little bit more of a hint as to how to live when they leave here. Um, So there's a lot of good things going on right now. I'm not denying that. But finally, it's going to come down to an individual matter. It's you and your life. And uh, if you care about the quality of your life, this is certainly one way to help you, uh, whether the rest of the world goes this way or not. Um, In a way, it doesn't matter. because it's always an individual choice it's up to you what do you want Um, and relationship what she was getting at is everyone's been wounded there and they don't want to uh, be told that uh, oh it's very spiritual family life is very spiritual because she she speaks to regular parishioners she she knew a lot and very worldly for someone who's not been in in the world much Um, and she was right uh, it cha- changed me. When I came back to Cambridge after that, I realized uh, if we want to uh, enliven this idea, we have to do things. So we created a sandwich retreat in Cambridge where we have two weekend retreats. It's not a plug for CIMC. It's just trying to get a message across. We have two weekend retreats. That's the bread of the sandwich. They're just regular retreats like what you've been doing here. And every evening of the week, uh, sitting and walking, but we give people an awareness assignment, a mindfulness assignment, during the day, whatever their life is like, work, school, family life, whatever it is. And then when they come back, uh, and this was her point, unless you ask them to is some accountability, people are gonna feel it's just rhetoric, empty rhetoric, doesn't mean much. So then we'll say, okay, we've been studying right speech, if that was, was the theme, did you learn anything? And the first few days, people don't take you seriously, typically. They go out in life and they forget to practice. And then they come back, they just want to sit and walk. You know? Uh, but then overall, we, we hammer away, we don't give up. And before now they realize that we mean it. We want in, for you to pay attention when you talk and listen. And let, let us know what you learned or what happens when you do that. And uh, so we've been doing, and that uh, I owe that to her. All right. And more and more we have, spe- we have interviews where we're willing to talk not just about sitting and walking, uh, they're open to anyone in the community. They're half an hour. They're not 10 minutes in and out, which are useful too, especially on a retreat, uh, where we draw people out. If they wish to talk about family life or work, they hate their job or whatever it is, um, it's welcome. But we try to hear it. We're not therapists. I'm not a trained therapy therapist, and I may be the only person in Cambridge who's not been in therapy. <laughs> which, I, I'm, not, I'm not bragging it's, it's just a fact. Uh, some of us chose another another avenue uh, quicker and faster and uh, called. you know what it was, yeah some of you don't know drugs <laughs> you know that generation, Ellis, we thought that the whole planet would be saved by psychedelics, Leary and Alpert and Leary, Alpert is now Ramdas. He's Richard Albert what is this ram that stuff <laughs> <laughs> anyway <laughs> anyway um we're wounded and it it is t- quite true it seems that relationship is very difficult for us to do and so one strategy is you become a monk or a nun and you celibate. Food is very difficult for us to do. Okay, regulate that. One meal. Money is very difficult to do. Okay, we won't handle it. And so forth. And that's a strategy to me. And for some people it works and helps them. It's an, an attempt to maximize the conditions to get free. Now I don't want to compare that with any other, but to me it's a strategy, an approach. Having lived in those situations, uh, for some people it really it helps. I feel some people are just born for that and they really flower. And for many people, it's just another way of hiding. It, it, just honestly, I'm not romantic about it. Putting on robes is no guarantee of a thing if you, from a profound point of view, not from a sentimental point of view. Um, but, but that's not our situation. We are, we are in a relationship. Or if we're not, we want to get in it. If we're in, we want to get out of it. You know, But uh, it's wherever we go, there it is again. And it's, I don't mean just intimate relationship. Relationship with your boss. Relationship with, uh, you tell me, life is with people. And it's relationship is an energy. It's, that's what living is. A lot of it is in relationship. Of course, it's relationship to nature, to food, to objects, to money, to clothing. Uh, Dharma is an investigation of our relationship to life. If you want to break it down, it's that. But it seems like uh, what I would like to emphasize in the little time we have left is relationship as a Dharma practice. If we could back up to last night, do you remember uh, the point that uh, birth is suffering? To take birth is suffering. Uh, The inner meaning of that is to take birth as mere mind. There's one meaning of the of literally a physical body is born. And if you're born, you're going to be subject to all kinds of things. It's just part of being alive to me, it's not pessimistic or optimistic; it's just true okay but this that's not what I was getting at last evening i and I'm pretty sure I hope that was clear uh we We get born many, many times in a given day, born as me, born as whatever it is, born as uh someone giving a speech right now, a talk, and then that dies, and then we're born as something else, and there are gaps fortunately when it isn't me and mine, we're not on the line, we're not being that which we think we are and representing it to others who then uh, either reinforce it or aboard uh, with it or attack it. And, uh, and then the other statement by the Buddha, he, he doesn't just say uh, birth is suffering, he also says the elimination of uh, the false idea of me and mine or I is true happiness. So another way another way of putting it, look at our plight. There are six billion people on this planet, and apparently from what we learn, it's expanding all the time. That means six billion egos, all who have cravings and desires and aversions and ignorance and want, 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 and this country wants what that country has, and this one doesn't want what they, and uh, is it a, it's a wonder that it's as uh, livable as it is. One ego is enough. I mean mine, I know it. Just (laughs) multiply it by six billion? Okay, so we'll settle for just one or a few. Um, How can relationship be a practice, a Dharma practice? Uh, That, if you pay attention, of course you're going to learn from life. And a lot of what you'll learn will be psychologically incisive and helpful. It'll help you take stock of yourself. Realizing ways of living that are uh, not helpful that are, are useless, a lot of Dharma practices unlearning unlearning what isn 't working and maybe once did but doesn 't now or never did, but it was uh, it was conditioned into you and never examined and here we 're starting from scratch. Remember to me, part of the beauty of the practice is we 've all come from different places with different parents and different situations and uh, different uh, sorrows and wounds and successes and failures. The practice is always about starting where you are right now. Whether you, you just came here for your first retreat or been practicing for 30 years, it's always about right now. And if you want to go on and on about uh, what happened when you were two years old and your nanny dropped you on your head, or uh, that's, that has its place too. And, and there are ways in which that can be very useful. Uh, Psychotherapy does wonderful things with that historical data. But here the accent is on, fine, how is it for you right now? So we're always starting fresh with ourselves as we find ourselves. And I would extend that in the world as it is. This is the world we live in. You're going back to a particular world, so am I. But planet Earth really is this way. There are more and more people in Cambridge who want workshops, at the center at CIMC, or a workshop on how to live in dangerous times and difficult times, which is uh, economically uh, terrorism and so forth. I don't have to spell it out. Um, and often when we, start, we, we do them, uh, a lot of it is not wanting the world, the world to be this way. Well, the Dharma starting point is, this is the world we live in. It is this way. It shouldn't be this way human beings should be kinder to each other, wiser, more intelligent, but they're not. We're not. We're this way. So how to maintain your sanity in a world of non-meditators? Granted, we're all these very uh, humane, kind, vegetarian people, (laughs) among all these meat-eating, hate-mongering, because I don't see signs uh, of that changing and uh, one of the things that as especially if you learn to love this practice is how to live in the world of people who don't meditate uh, we're all just human there's something that we all have in common and if you like meditation as a way of using it to feel superior or to isolate yourself and feel lonely or to use it as another way of judging how everyone else is an idiot especially your parents <laughs> <laughs> or anyone in your family who doesn't meditate. Uh, we're trying to find a connection that uh, we're, all, we're all human. So what is how does relationship a Dharma practice? So I'm granted that if you pay attention while you're living with people, let's say in a family, um, if you pay attention with the intention to learn rather than judge, and that's a big one. In Dharma, this one major shift is more and more the intention to, to learn and understand rather than to judge. But we've had a huge amount of practice judging, evaluating, comparing. Okay. Now the, the point is very, very simple. Uh, the name Krishnamurti has been mentioned. I feel uh, my Buddhist teachers, most of whom have been monks, and who I've benefited from immensely, some have been just great, uh, but they've been monks. And there's some things that try as they will. They understand the principles, and some of them have an uncanny grasp of life, even though some of them have been celibate their entire life since they were young children. Uh, but finally, this, uh, uh, when I, it, some of it is to live by the precepts, in other words to uh, an ongoing commitment to ethical refinement if you want to get free, if you want to live a life that's guided by wisdom and compassion, you've got to get your house in order. If you're killing, lying, stealing, uh, and all the rest, you know, misusing sexual energy and uh, clouding your mind with all kinds of, how, in the, how in the world is anything going to happen? Uh, it's, just, it's just stupid. So that's sort of a bare minimum, is to start paying attention as to how you live. It's like the minimum for civilized life. And the reason the precepts are there, apparently, and they're in every religion, Buddhism's not unique, is because the energy to not do it is very strong. uh, To lie, to to misuse sexual energy, and so forth. Um, But then I find that, and I don't know, I've tried to understand it, um, when it comes to relationship, things thin out. And I I frankly have not gotten a whole lot of help uh, from the monastic community because there's some way in which it doesn't understand from the inside, the texture of it. And relationship is seen and is reinforced as so difficult. That's why we become monks and nuns. (laughs) In other words, one solution is just drop the whole thing. It's impossible. (laughs) These people are hopeless. But if you haven't made that choice, then then you have to learn how to live in a world which includes relationship. And probably you're in one, or you'd like to be in one, or even if you'd like to get out of one, and there's no escape. Because it's it's just people. Now, what Krishnamurti adds, and which emphasizes, and it's not contrary to Buddhism at all, it's just that it's a real emphasis, and that is that relationship is a mirror. what relationship it can be it, if you take it on? Relationship uh, mirrors back to you. You can learn a tremendous amount about yourself. Doug sees family life as a house of mirrors, where everyone is house of mirrors. Doug, yeah, yeah. hall of mirrors. What are you phrase it? Which one? Does? House of mirrors. Uh, because if you if let's say four or five people in a family, wherever you look, that you have a reaction. Uh, so in addition to living with each other we have reactions and it teaches you something about yourself. Now, here's where this connects up with the highest teachings of the Buddha. I've, I'm, not speaking, I'm not speaking from Mount Olympus. I've been doing this for quite a while now. and Relationship, family or otherwise, is an incredibly rich way to learn about selfing. Because it's almost entirely what happens. Uh, take out the garbage, honey. Uh, Okay, dear. I took it out yesterday. Why well, it's her turn? Why don't she do so? And uh, you can feel even in trivial things. You can feel me alive and well. Me taking out the garbage. Me not really wanting to take out the garbage. Uh, that voice again, honey, dear. You know, <laughs> uh, because she's not comfortable saying because she knows you don't like to hear it. Well, who doesn't like to hear it? Uh, and you, you just see when. Children leave crumbs on table. And, uh, you know, when we get annoyed, who gets annoyed? Who's suffering? And we use language like craving, attachment. You see, that's just another way of saying me. When there's attachment and suffering, it's me that's attached and suffering. Check it out. See if it's so. Don't take my word for it. Okay, so now, if the Buddha says, eradication of this false notion of me and mine is true happiness... In other words, that's what takes you nirvana, or emptiness. That's empty of the attachment to me and mine. If the notion comes up, this is my car, or my car, but it's accompanied by awareness, uh, it's benign. It's, it, you're not going to get hurt by it. It's not to stamp out, under no conditions will I ever think me or mine again. You can try that, but the voice that just decided to do that is me or mine. <laughs> what do we do with this kind of terrorist? (laughs) Because it's you uh, putting on different masks. Um, So if you take it on, uh, essentially what that means is you, in addition to living your life normally, whatever you do in relationship, start developing, and you can do this by practice. You can learn to maintain an inner focus as you live in social life. And it's not stilted. Maybe sometimes at the beginning it is. It's not like someone says something, you feel a reaction, you go. (laughs) Oh, well, uh, and then you, uh, uh, it's that you, actually when you start getting into it, things will uh, change for the better. I'll give you a simple example. I can't think of a simpler one. My stepdaughter uh, leaves crumbs on the table. She used to leave crumbs on the table. <laughs> when Adolf got through with her, no, you know. <laughs> okay, okay, uh, and I would watch. And uh, she, by the way, she's not a child; she's uh, an adult. And uh, I could feel myself. Well, uh, what am I, your servant? What? Now, who had, that's? I can feel me in there. Not exactly boiling, but on the edge. A few times, and I'm waiting for it to go away. It doesn't go away. Crumbs, crumbs, crumbs. So (laughs) one day, I just, you know, it it just blurted out. Could you please tidy up after yourself? You know, and I could feel... (laughs) And uh, what ensued was, you can imagine the climate... Uh, and also the quality of the cleaning. (laughs) We would have to hire someone else to clean up after the person who cleaned up. But then being a dedicated, devoted yogi, Vipassana yogi, I reviewed my action. It will take sometimes a second or two. And I felt that was coming from me. You're leaving crumbs. And and somehow me was uh, outraged. She shouldn't be doing that. She's staying with us. This is our house, my house, finally. you know, I mean, ego's house. Uh, and I didn't correct her anymore, and I lived with it. And I saw that it was strong in me. I was really getting annoyed with some of her living habits because she doesn't live the way I do. And she should live exactly the way I do. Because the whole world should do exactly what I want it to do. And then I would really be happy. Uh, so I live with it. In other words, living with it means I felt it. I felt this me and mine arise in numerous times, not just with crumbs, but I didn't act on it. I also didn't repress it, deny it, and I also didn't identify with it and stew in it and just feel like that and then explode one day. And little by little, the power left of the power of this irritability. And uh, one day I was able to say, uh, call their name, for example, and I said, would you mind, please tidy up after yourself? It would be very helpful for me. Uh, and then it was a different, same words, virtually, different transaction altogether. And so what I'm trying to say is this. When you, if you use relationship as a Dharma practice, look, I understand it's difficult, and that is probably, to some degree, why we're here. We've gotten wounded in relationship. Maybe the original one, and then along the way, other casualties and it's ongoing. We hurt each other. We get, we hurt and we get hurt. We love, it's all the 10,000 sorrows and the 10,000 joys in life, makes up life. Seems you can't have one without the other. Okay, if you take this on as a practice, uh, it isn't, it is not, um, it's a dignified, worthy practice. And I don't mean just family, I mean work, wherever you are. Life, uh, at first, it may be you have to remember to do it, but uh, life pushes our buttons like nothing else. I mean, relationship, life lived through relationship, which is much of life. But now the difference is we're paying attention. It's a mirror. The person, in addition to doing what they're doing, is teaching us something about themselves. Like, I'm still the kind of person who can be gotten to by crumbs. Oh, Mr. Liberation, Mr. Free, <laughs> Mr. Big Vipassana teacher uh, loses it over a few crumbs. Uh, not much of a role model, uh, but but it's true. Uh, so, uh, as you start to bring it in as practice, essentially what we're doing is we're getting better at becoming aware of our reactions. Now, a reaction is mechanical. It's like a machine. Uh, so this happens, and then it fires. It's, you push a button, Coca-Cola comes out. Another button, Pepsi-Cola. I wouldn't drink this stuff, but I'm. You have to. It's the example that came to mind. It's very bad for you. The, the liver hates it anyway. Um, and it comes from our past. So, in a sense, we're not in the moment at all. We're not intimate with the moment. It's sort of the shadow of yesterday is constantly casting itself between us and what's happening. Well, we have images. I started to develop an image of my stepdaughter, the slob, you know, the messy one. And, I, and that was between, it wasn't uh, explicit, it just was there. And, and all, by paying attention, I saw it. She's a lovely person. But that was starting to get in between us and to affect the quality of our interaction. I really wasn't seeing her in a given moment as some of these uh, filters started to impose themselves between myself and her. And I'm taking this, this is a simple example. Um, So what happens is you become aware of the reactivity. That's me and mine in action. But see if it's so. As you get better at that, that starts to lose its power. You're not nourishing it. When you act out of it, when it's, uh, you act out, I think it's sometimes called, uh, you're nourishing it. It's alive and well. It loves that. When you just if you repress it, it loves that too. It would like you to embrace it and get lost in it. It's like a child. If you can't get your attention through love, fine. You'll get it through, through annoyance. You become a pain, so you pay attention to it. We're doing neither. The, the beauty of the Buddha's uh, gu- guidelines are you neither g- grasp and hold on to, nor do you push away and deny, but you're right in between. You're awake to. And you're awake to yourself. It's self-knowing in action. Life itself is showing you something. It's not some theory about self-knowing. There it is. But what's needed is a certain humility, a strong intention to learn. Uh, You have to be willing to uh, admit that something is wrong, that you may be at fault. You may have to admit all kinds of things, which are not easy for us. Not easy for us at all. We're very good at finding faults in others. And I'm not saying start blaming yourself. I'm saying saying start learning from what you see relationship brings up in you. And it's a tremendously liberating force and it has as much dignity as any other Dharma practice. It's just that it's a cliche. We don't, uh, because it's so difficult. That it, for example, Zen is famous for daily life. But I, I've lived in Zen monasteries, and I and I know my, I'm still very friendly and with all kinds of Zen monks and a few Zen masters, and, uh, and I've read in that tradition. But when I but as I've gotten to know what it actually is, uh, the emphasis there is a lot of it is on manual labor, much better than the other Buddhist schools, which somehow there's always someone else will do it for you. The lay people will do it for us. Let's say the monks in Zen. They do clean, they do chop wood and carry water. They are a cook, and they, uh, a lot of what I was talking about comes from that, that is whatever job you have in the monastery, uh, you give it your best. The cook is highly evaluated in monasteries for obvious reasons, food is very, very important. Okay. But every job is, and so that sounds great, but then it falls off. They're no better at relationship than anyone else. Some of you have been in Zen. Correct me if I'm wrong. Most of the scandals have been in Zen. Uh, A tremendous amount of sexual scandals. And the koans deal with everything, but not that big koan. Most of them are men. So what koan have they flunked? The lady koan. (laughs) It's not in the Blue Cliff Record. It's not in the Gateless Gate. It's not in the Book of Serenity. It's in the book of you, of men and women, of normal life. Or the man koan, whatever it is for you. Uh, And of course we shy away from it, because we've gotten hurt there, and it's difficult. And what this is saying is, walk into it. Open to it, begin to, because if we're going to use daily life as a practice, how can we avoid relationship? It makes no sense to me. There's more to go. As you improve your ability to be with your reactivity, and start uh, weakening it and uh, sometimes you'll find it's just not there anymore. It's replaced. There's another quality of mind that emerges from the absence of the reactivity. The reactivity dissipates itself and that mind uh, is certainly at least clearer. It's quieter and what comes from that mind, at least potentially, is not a reaction but a response. A response is not mechanical. A response is coming out of some clarity. As the mind gets clearer, it's coming out of emptiness, out of wisdom. And it's far more reliable than trying to puzzle out what the right thing to say is. Or to have all these strategies, I'll do this, and then he'll do that, and she'll do this, and then I'll say this. Uh, because that, the emptiness is the crown jewel for a reason. There's enormous wisdom there that it far surpasses man-made, man with a big M man women made wisdom. Uh, And so more and more, I don't know how many people are are living that way. Uh, I can't say that I live there. I can say I have access to it, a glimpse here and there, and I know the difference when Larry is trying to behave properly and when something else is coming through and it's so obvious. When the mind is clear, I don't think you need a whole lot of other instructions and guidelines, and the Buddha said, you see what's in front of you accurately, and there's something in us, there's a, an intelligence that we have. It's an organic intelligence, it's not intellect, although that's useful too. And so, life starts to improve. You, you start finding that you're able to um, participate in social life with whoever the people are that make up your life, and you're not just one of the automatons who, who think they're very individualistic. Uh, there's a freshness to it when you start letting go and stop feeding all these mechanical reactions and it's replaced by something that's much more intuitive fresh appropriate to the particular moment that you're in it may be the same person but something different is called for in this moment because you see them clearly you don't just talk at them you see what who they are in that moment and somehow something in us is more appropriate so it's, I would uh, strongly encourage you to, to uh, if you feel that there is something to this, bring the practice into daily life. Uh, it's sort of not bringing the practice into daily life, it's that daily life is your practice. And the attitude of seeing it um, as worth it, as worthy of it, and that if we don't take it on, there is this hope, I think. If we sit enough, then we'll become totally and completely sane and wise and compassionate. And maybe uh, chalk up how many three-month retreats we've done. We should wear them as medals, you know, combat ribbon. 17 three-month retreats, and then also the countries we've practiced in, Burma, Thailand, Sri Lanka. It's just another resume. Uh, I've had this conversation with monks. I'm respectful. I'm respectful. Uh, and the, the really good ones understand that they're human beings underneath the robes and the traditions and all. We all are. That's all there are, are human beings walking on this planet. Some people do get very, very clear. And they may have never married. Never. By the way, this is not a formula for how you should live your life. Some of you will marry, some won't marry. Uh, it's not about gender preferences. or It's about freedom. It's giving you the freedom to live your life. But the awareness is seeing how you make suffering for yourself and others. And then what we're learning is how to unlearn that. That's what wisdom is. is unlearning ways of living that are, uh, don't work and learning how to live the wisdom. Wisdom is not just wise words. The Buddha said, this one said, that one said. Uh, it's got to be embodied in the moment in the way we actually live. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. Um, and then do is, do retreats when you can. Uh, they're very, very helpful. See, I'm not, I don't want to, it may sound like, oh, sitting's cute and re- retreats are cute, but the real thing is daily life. Some people sound that way. I'm not saying that. I teach here. I love teaching here. I value it. I sit. I sit regularly. I do retreats, self-retreats, when I can. I love to do it. I know how helpful it is and when i come off a retreat i feel that i'm now moving into just life again but in a different form that's all okay um the sermon's over